Bienvenidos! Uh, good day to you. It is Talk and Talk, podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent, and I'm here today with TJ. Hey! And Cristobal. Hello! Hello. And uh, we're going to be talking about what we've been watching, what we've been playing, what, how we've been living. <laughs> and just uh, life in general. Just, you know, things. And then uh, we're going to follow that up with a uh, little quick look at news lately, and... Finish up by telling you what you should go watch this weekend, because you can't make these decisions on your own. That's correct. Um, I'll start with Chris. Have you been watching anything? Playing anything? Uh, um, I, I've got nothing, so I'll talk. Um, <laughs> true talky-talk yeah, style. This is kind of a mix of breezy and a mix of watch list. Um, so, whatever happened to bring the Great British Baking Show to the U.S. on Netflix... It's always been weird where at first we just had like series, they, it was like, they called them collections, even though they were the full season, it was like series, collection one, two, three, and four, and they were really seasons, uh, six, three, four, five, and two. Okay. In that order. Weird. Um, so something changed. I don't know. I didn't do any research into it, but I was just excited. Now you can see. The first season of the BBC Great British Baking Show, or Great British Bake Off, depending on where you are. Um, it is on Netflix now as Great British Baking Show, The Beginnings. And the newest season, the one that aired this year, this is the first time we've had the uh, the year of release of it in the US, uh, is available, and I started watching that. So, And the big news, I think, for people that watch the show, the original Netflix series that we had in the States was uh, featured... Uh, Mary, Mary Berry, Mary Berry, who is so sweet, yeah. a very old lady, an excellent baker, yeah, and was just like kind of the star of the show there. And uh, you also had the host, the two comedians, yeah, and they all left after season six, I think, yeah, five or six, I forget yeah. which one. And they were replaced by people who do a good job, but aren't as the comedians are funny and cute, and. Mary Berry is so sweet. Uh, so in the states, you essentially get a new season of that old cast. Yeah, which is fun. Yeah. So, but I I didn't watch the beginnings yet. I've been watching the new one, um, and it's it's still a great show. We'll continue to recommend GBBO to anyone. Uh, I was <clears throat> probably shouldn't say this. I was particularly hungover on Saturday and curled up on the couch uh, watching TV with the dog. I was like. You're a physical hug, and this show is a brain hug. <laughs> I got uh, both things. Yeah. But that's a great show. There's, there's like, two seasons out of nowhere um, on Netflix, which is always a delight as well as that show. Um, and the other thing, I've been playing it for a while, and I haven't talked about it yet. I've been playing a single-player collectible, not collectible card game, but a roguelike card game called Slay the Spire. It's about to come out of early access, uh, it's a lot of fun. You choose between one of three classes, kind of like a brute force guy, a um, like a a rogue archetype, and then kind of like a spellcaster type, like and a magician, a thief, uh, and a mage. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you start your deck with basic. You know, you have five strikes, four defends. And you have like one, two cards from either offense or defense that are special to your class. 
Um, and then every time you beat someone in the uh, in the ascension up the spire, uh, you get to pick a new card, one of three to add. And it's never ba- a basic striker defend. It's like, you know, rather than just deal six damage, it's like deal nine damage and draw a card. Or uh, gain ten block and gain an extra energy next turn so you can use an extra card or cards that cost more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot of fun and it is a really low resource game that you can play and there's no like super like collecty nature about it like it's not you know you you go on your single player run and then when you lose you lose you just restart over um when you're going up the map you can either fight a normal enemy an elite enemy have a random event happen where you kind of like choose from like one of three options and it's a random effect uh or there's like a shop or a campfire where you can rest or upgrade a card um but it's a good time. It's it's my like uh, listening, like finishing up a podcast and doing that, or like you know, if I'm watching a movie that I'm not super interested in, but you know, I just or like a TV show where I'm just like kind of getting through and Kelly's busy or in bed. It's a great thing to have on the second monitor. But so I recommend it. Slay the Spire. It's a fun game. It really needs to be on phones. I feel like any game that is like run based single player and cards as like the main thing, like yeah, why, why is it not on phones? Right. I get that there's like struggles in developing because when you develop for PC you're developing for one platform, but when you're developing for mobile, you're developing on a PC for two different certification platforms. Sure. So that's like an, an extra struggle. But it if it was on my phone or tablet, it would replace the bullshit game I'm playing now. Um, and any like Instagram holes I fall into, which is now a thing in my life. Nice. But, yeah. Slay the Spire, GBBO, that's my life, along with working and being a good fiancé and doing what I'm told. (laughs) Okay, fiancé. But that's me. I want to talk about a game that I play a lot that actually had something kind of cool come out. Can I do that now? Sure. Thanks. Uh, It's Hearthstone-related. Uh, it's a game I play aggressively for like three months at a time, and then we'll never look at for six months. But the solo story mode that is available right now—it's been out for a couple of months, but uh, it's really good. I'll tell you why. Now <laughs> they uh, so Hearthstone, a turn-based you know card game in the style of like Magic the Gathering ish. There's Always like a most efficient play. Maybe not the best decision, but an efficient way to do things. And the story mode now is, here's your hand. You don't draw any cards. Um, and you're playing this guy who has X amount of health. And you have X amount of health. And if you don't one turn kill him, uh, you lose. Immediately. So it gives you these hands. It makes you see the hand in a you know the most creative, efficient way. Um, which is something like I struggle with. Somebody who never played those games but loves Hearthstone. And, you know, how user-friendly it is compared to most of those games. Um, it's fun. Nice. So, yeah. so it's like a little like a little puzzle game built into a competitive card game. Yeah. It's like, make sure you do all this in the right order. Or like, you know, play this card, then buff this card. But you have to cast the spell before you use the buff. or it, So that spell gets whatever effects or whatever. Um, it's fun. And it takes me being patient, which I'm not when I'm really playing Hearthstone. I'm just kind of like... This seems like the best thing. Can I do it? 
But if you're playing Hearthstone and you haven't done the story meds, I know there's a few people that are kind of like, that only do the story meds. Um, you should do it. It's fun. I also watched a couple of movies. And they've been seen by um, y'all. So we can all talk about them. Nice. I watched Incredibles 2, finally. Which Chris saw in its theatrical release and Brent and I both watched last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um... I put up a review about it on the website, which read more like a <clears throat> kind of an article on Brad Bird. Have either one of y'all checked it out yet? Yeah, I, I, I breezed through it. Yeah, <laughs> breezes. Uh, but I kind of it kind of felt like so. First off, I gave the movie four stars. It's a great movie. It's gonna get nominated and probably win the Oscar. I think it deserves both. But, Having not seen Ralph breaks the internet, right? Um, well, even without seeing that. Wait, you think right. it's definitely going to get nominated for an Oscar? <laughs> yes. I'll try to remember that for future podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. But, even though it's great, I still feel like it was Brad Bird punting a little bit because Tomorrowland was so bad. Which what do you is, mean, uh, punting? I think he... Played it safe? Yeah. Oh, okay. I can see that. Kept it close. Didn't take any big chances. <laughs> I think what Pixar movies do that makes them from takes them from like very good to iconic great is always that something in the film where you're like, oh, that's kind of dark or you know that's a step that I've never think about an animated it's, movie taking. They, they take they take chances, but they do them in a way that they're so good at paying them off. And those are your great Pixar movies. That's the first thirty minutes of Wally, the intro to Up. The dumpster scene in Toy Story three, mm-hmm. um, Toy Story two, Jesse being left at the at the landfill. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the first Incredibles, you have that moment where Helen is talking to the kids on the island, and they're like super excited because they're superheroes finally. And Helen's like, you know, like, hey, focus up. These guys will kill you. Right. Like it's not like cartoons. Your life is in danger. You got to be smart. Um, and this movie didn't really have that to me. It's what kept it at like four, you know, stars and not five. Um, having said all that, it did some fun stuff. It got close to playing with like gender roles in modern society, but it never really took that step. I feel like, like Bob was never, he felt out of place, but he was never like rude about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was always like, yeah, this is fine. I can do this. I understand. We'll make it happen. It was more about him being out of place than her being out of place. You know Yeah, I, mean? I think that, I mean, I, I definitely noted that as well. Like, I, I kind of wish they had delved deeper into that because we kind of got to the point where Bob was a little bothered by it, but we never really got any sort of... There's never, like, no argument there, ever. There was never any, like, family breakdown. Right. We saw the friction, but we never saw the fire that results from the friction. And we never, it never really led to anywhere because it was just there. And then it was time for him to be called in because of the big, the big fight. Right. Against the baddie. Which was a lot of fun. Is the, the, the best part of the, the movie is fight, uh, the action scenes. Yeah. The, the fight against all the superheroes turned supervillains. Yeah. It's all fun. It was a clever way to create an army of baddies. Uh, that you had already been interested and where they introduced to where in a cartoon movie the goal where the goal can't really be like I need to kill all these people the goal is just to save them right that's fun um, 
the movie was funny. It had its moments. I think they may have overdid and didn't know what they had with Jack-Jack because he steals the film for me in the comedy elements. Yeah. Um, and the mud hair Jack-Jack is really funny. I also thought the Jack-Jack going to another dimension was hilarious. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just like hear this creepy like ghost baby laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Like tired Bob Parr with the cookies trying to find them. <laughs> Got cookies. Um, it was good. I, I liked the beginning. I thought that was, you know, clever with the uh, agent dealing with Violet's boyfriend. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, it was good. But, <clears throat> yeah. The movie is not a one of those like iconic, you know, I could say this Pixar film is one of the greatest movies of all time movies, but it's really good. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a good movie, and I, it's not one that I don't think I'm going to list among my favorites in you know years from now. But it's a good movie. I, I think you should I, watch it. I think when I saw it, I said it's in the bottom of the upper third for me. I can see that. Yeah, I'd probably have it a little lower, but I definitely wouldn't argue with that. It's better than Monsters University. It's better than any of the Cars movies. Um, I think it's better than Ratatouille. Better than Ratatouille. Probably better than The Good Dinosaur. The Good Dinosaur struggled with plot. It was just beautiful. Um, But it doesn't touch, I don't think, the Toy Story films up Wally. Inside Out. Inside Out. Yeah. It's it's not in that realm. The first Incredibles. Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc. It's not those to me. But it's it's really good. Um, And also, went to the theater yesterday, a movie that Chris saw, and it's a theatrical release. And Brent has seen the originals. Um, I watched The Star is Born. Yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. It is the best movie I've seen, 2018. Um, really nothing bad to say about it at all. It is really emotionally moving. It is draining. (coughs) Yeah. I was tired for two hours after watching the movie. Yeah. There is, there is one critical camp, and that is that the movie doesn't do anything inspiring with its message is it tells the same story of addiction and of uh like like disappointment in mentors yeah it the theme of the movie is horrifying which is sometimes you fuck up so bad you can't fix it right um there's nothing you can do i mean you can except rely on yourself right which is Positive what, is what, is what yeah. Jackson Maine does in the end. Yeah. He, you know, decides he can fix it. And yeah. he fixes it. Um, no matter how wrong he is, <coughs> that's his decision. And he, you're not, that character is not a brilliant guy. No. He is a phenomenal musician and songwriter. And that's all he does. And that's all he does well. He's not a good friend. He's not a good songwriter. He, he tries. He is. He is the best thing that he is. Is he's an inspiration, and he is a a useful connection for Allie, which are like tangible things in the world. Did you and do the old versions ever? So first off, he's got tinnitus in this one. I don't okay. know if that's something that carries, but he's slowly losing his ability to hear. You're never told. If Allie, Lady Gaga's character, knows about that or not, so I assume I'm going to work under the assumption she does not know. Um, I think it's left to his brother, played by Sam Elliott, and a few members of the band. Yeah, kind of know. 
Um, he does tell her. He does tell her he can't hear too good out of this ear. Yeah, it's in the very beginning, yeah. though, and I don't... It's I don't, not... He doesn't say, like, I have... Like, I can't play some shows right. sometimes when it gets so bad. But I wonder if part of him hearing her and giving her all the help that he did is him trying to kind of pass the torch a little bit. That was never, like, explicitly said in the movie, but I got that feeling a lot. Yeah. And and then, which is why he was so disappointed when... She went pop. When she went to the... Not even just pop. I think he was <coughs> fine with pop. But I think the song on SNL, that whole thing. Yeah. She essentially sings a song that's like, why would you come up to me with that ass and those jeans? Your ass is so good. Like it. And you can tell he's like severely disappointed because his whole thing is, you've got something people want to hear. I don't know. You don't know. We don't know if you'll ever have legs. So say it now. Yeah. Use this opportunity to say what you want to say. That's what people want to hear. Um, yeah, it's, so anyway, I, I thought that him being disappointed reinforced my thought in that, that he was yeah. kind of like, I want to pass this on to somebody cause I might not be able to do it tomorrow. Well, yeah. And I, and I think, I think that is that, that kind of spells true. And I know Brent, we said he wouldn't talk about details, but, um, you know, he not, not like as like, he doesn't like will it to her, but he does gift her a song. Like he he writes that song in the back pages of her of this notebook, and she finds it like days after the last or, song you hear in the film. Yeah, the yeah. last song you hear in the film, the song that that he kind of I'll never love anyone. Is, again. Yeah, yeah, that he's kind of like tinkling on the piano, and and it, you only see that first shot of him kind of playing around her, being like, "Oh, what are you doing?" He goes, "I'm writing a song about you," and they don't show any more of it until the end, where she, when she rediscovers that he wrote the whole song, when also, she finds it. Right. He, he also writes the whole instrumentation for shallows yeah or like big first big hit yeah but so yeah so I, I definitely think there is a, a a passing of the torch of being the voice for the current generation um but I, the, the Jackson main character is also troubling and I don't think it's problematic for enjoyment of the movie or criticism because those people are out there but like holy shit like what a music snob like Every song, every word that you sing, everything you do that you perform has to be meaningful 100%. And it's like, it doesn't. It doesn't, but, but I, it does to him. And it does, I think he sees that in her. Right. And he knows, I mean. That she doesn't want to be yeah. making these kind of bubblegum pop songs. Yeah, I mean, this guy's like Sturgill Simpson, Sturgill Simpson mixed with Chris Stapleton. He is like a indie god who is a selling out arenas yeah. superstar. Second wave of outlaw country, basically. Yeah. And so he's not like, he's pretty big. He's huge. Yeah. Um, to the point where he does like a Roy Orbison tribute at the Grammys and they tell him he's not going to sing and everybody just assumes he'll drop out. Like he won't even play guitar on it. He's also seen as like one of the best guitarists that's alive in the yeah. film. Um, but to move on from plot a little bit, technically the movie is fucking amazing. Uh, Bradley Cooper's work with camera to no surprise to me because he's such seems like such like a student of film. Yeah, uh, literally. Yeah, 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 literally. Yeah, you see him in, inside the actor's studio. Yeah, uh, the camera work is just jaw droppingly good. Yeah, it's really good. There are certain shots that still stick with me. Obviously, the finale where it's cutting back and forth, or when it does when it, when it does like the the editing with her singing the final song. 
You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's a detail I don't want to spoil because it is very, very powerful. It is. Um, you know, the the scene of... of uh, his name's not Chris Elliott. Sam Elliott uh, driving away after dropping off Bradley Cooper. That is both Sam Elliott's best scene and, I think, just brilliantly shot just from, like, the rear of the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, no surprise to anyone who knows anything about any of the Star Wars Born movies... Um, the, all of this, all of the buildup to him, uh, killing himself is just wonderfully shot mm-hmm. in the, um, in the garage, just kind of basically shot from the waist down. If anybody is crazy enough to watch this movie again, or if you know the plot like Brent and haven't seen it yet, every time Bradley Cooper's on screen without Lady Gaga, it is shaky drunk camera work. All the stage work is... Shot from low and high and kind of keeps you on your toes and moves around a lot. But the thing that impressed me so much was the minute he dies, it is a static standstill shot. Yeah. There's zero camera movement. And I thought that was so cool. Because the turbulence is over. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I mean, God, so haunting. Because it's like, I don't know. It was just a fantastic movie. Um, the song is amazing. The songs are amazing. Uh, Jason Isbell's song. I'm not sure if it was written for the film or not. I need to look that up at some point. I don't think it was. I don't I don't think it was either. I think it was something that he had just sort of never really published. I think it might have been first published for this movie. I think it was something that Isbell had sort of written and yeah. just sort of tinkered around with for a while. And this came up and he just thought it would be fitting. But most of the songs that they sing were written by Lady Gaga and Lucas Nelson, Willie Nelson's son. And... Uh, they wrote a great album. I mean, of course they did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lucas Nelson is kind of revered in the outlaw country scene right now. And uh, Bradley Cooper, that was his first hire, was Lucas Nelson. So, highly recommend it. I think it's, you know, a lock for a Best Picture nom, and deservedly so. Yeah. Sam Elliott, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper could get three nominations this year for producer, director, and writer. Uh Actor. And actor. So four. Um, and he would deserve every one of them. Yeah. I think. I went into the movie thinking I'd be more impressed with Lady Gaga because that's what the press has been and she is phenomenal. Um, but I think that press is due to Lady Gaga kind of surprising people in the film. Uh, Bradley Cooper's, I mean, it's a role of a lifetime for him so far, which says something for Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Um, as good as his performance is and like Silver Linings, this trumps it. By a lot for me. Yeah. Um, Sam Elliott, performance of his career, for sure. Yeah. And obviously for Lady Gaga. So, I don't know. Bradley Cooper's got a great feature from behind the camera, though, wouldn't you say? Yes. But it's a downer, so get ready for that. (laughs) But that's all for me. All right. I'll go. I watched some movies this week. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, my wife was out of town for a few days, and when that happens, I horn can... on the beach. <laughs> yeah, so I watched. <laughs> yeah, weirdly, no. It's, uh, it's, it's I look at these opportunities like I'm gonna watch a whole movie trilogy tonight. <laughs> uh, You're crazy. Yeah. Uh, first movie was a uh, second time I've ever seen this movie, and I know it's one of TJ's favorite movies. Or at least I believe it's one of your favorite movies. Of all time. 
1957, 12 Angry Men. It's one of Chris's all-time favorite stuff. Oh. It's really great. Yes, it I, it's a movie, it's a good movie to revisit every now and then just because I kind of like I remember it being very very good, but I lost track of just all the details of what makes it great. And for me the best thing about the movie is how it's not just Henry Fonda versus a sea of of like similar people. Each one of those 12 jurors except I suppose juror number 1 who really has nothing to do but be the uh the foreman of the jury. Um, but all the, the other 11 jurors all have personalities. They are all, they all have time to like flesh out those characters a little bit. Yeah. And it's what makes it really a great ensemble movie. Um, they each have their own approaches to the case, which is interesting in what, in a case that I did not remember having that many details, but it's interesting to have, to see like, Eleven people. Each one has their own hurdle they have to get over. Yeah, and I think that's that's really interesting. We discussed this movie on the Sydney Levette podcast from a year or so ago. Yep. Um, it's so good. My favorite scene. First off, I think it's a textbook example of how to uh, transcribe a movie to or play or a work to film. Yes, uh, and also minimalist use of production design is incredible in the movie. Yeah, um, but. Um, Oh, shit, what's his name? Uh, Lee Cobb. Yeah. Plays, like, the bigoted juror, juror number three, I think. No, well, okay, no, he's not the... Oh, no, he's not. He's That the, is uh, Ed Begley Sr. Yes. Plays the bigot, who but, everybody gets up and, like, faces away from him when he keeps ranting about these, these people. And then he does this awesome thing where he kind of backs up into the shadows <clears throat> and pretty much takes himself out. Yeah. Like, he realizes he's just a shithead. Um... Yeah, it's a movie I recommend for like a watch every year, pretty much. Lee Lee Jacob does give a great performance. He is the uh, he's the last vote. He's the one who's angry at his son, and he's projecting those issues with his son onto the defendant. Um, I actually thought the the one that struck me obviously Henry Fonda is great in the movie. I'm like really really great, phenomenal. And Lee Jacob's also really good. Uh, but E. G. Marshall, who uh. I think fans of more recent memory would know him as, uh, I want to say he's uh, he's one of the, the grandparents or the parents in Christmas Vacation. But uh, E.G. Mar- e. Marshall, he is the very analytical juror in that movie. He's the one who uh, is not swayed at all by any emotion whatsoever. And... He is a he's really good in that performance. Um, he's the one that's eventually convinced by the glasses because he wears glasses, and he's uh, yeah the woman having the indentations on her on her nose. And you can I really like that character because he really he stays true to his character, which is he is uh, analytical. Which once he sees that she wore glasses and that never came up in trial, he immediately yeah, yeah. immediately he's like oh that's I'm voting not guilty now. Right. Because. I just didn't think about that before. The key, the key thing to me has now been, there's cast doubt on it. Yeah. Um, great movie though. Very inspiring movie. Yeah. Yeah. I love, it's a great setup too. And and this goes to the playwright, I'm sure. Um, but you can have this overarching theme of like justice and all that, but you can also have these like 11 mini themes, like, and pretty much every juror has their own little thing and why it sucks, and they spend about 15 minutes on each one of them, and then they move on. 
It's great. Yeah. So, obviously, highly recommend this movie. It's, it's a classic for good reason. Yeah. Um, rewatched the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy this week. <laughs> that was the re- reaction I had. I, I recently rewatched Spider-Man 3, so. Oh, gosh. Just that one? Yep. Oh, Chris. Kelly wouldn't pick a movie... And so I was like, I'm putting on Spider-Man 3. <laughs> so, so you tortured her? <laughs> and then she went to bed. <laughs> so, I don't think I've watched all three of these since the bulk of the MCU has come out. And so I was kind of curious to see how they would stack up. Uh, I thought the first Spider-Man was, was good. It's a good movie. It uh, doesn't stand out in a lot of ways. I think Willem Dafoe is really good in his role. I don't think the Green Goblin is that interesting in the movie. No. I mean, he is a. It is sort of a generic character, a generic baddie, which is just like scientist takes the serum and you know it transforms right. him to evil. Um, Willem Dafoe though is great in the in the performance. Um, other than that, it's just it's good. It's a good origin story without being great. Uh, rewatch Spider Man Two. That movie really still stands up. Yep, I loved it. I I'd forgotten how good it was. Which led to all the hype for Spider-Man 3. <laughs> it did lead to all the hype for Spider-Man 3. And I actually, I, I went into it thinking, this movie probably, like I remember hating the the dancing emo right. Peter Parker. And I kept thinking, I wonder how much that loomed over the rest of the movie and whether I never gave it a complete chance. So I rewatched it and that scene to me is not that bad anymore. The, it's not. The rest of the movie is garbage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The the whole drama between like like now that Spider Man's cool and and you know Mary Jane Watson is on the outs, uh, all of the acting between uh, Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire and Bryce Dallas Howard is dog shit. It's really bad. It is chemistry the likes of which we haven't seen since Phantom Menace. It is just wooden and weird, and it just doesn't make any fucking sense like why Gwen Stacy would give a shit about Peter Parker like he's right. not like he's a terrible person like that's that's the part of the symbiote which also internal logic the movie breaks um it it just it, it's it's baffling it was a frustrating movie to watch too because it's like they they had enough plot lines and I'm not saying they would have all been good, but they had enough total plot lines to sustain a season of a TV show. Yeah. In this one movie. And they tried to cram them all into two hours. And so as a result, you get like, the first 30, 40 minutes are very heavy on Sandman. Yeah, and I love Thomas Hayden Church in it. I think Thomas Hayden Church is the best part of this movie. I think he's good in it. And I think Sandman could have been an interesting villain. If they would have devoted the whole movie to him. Yes. I completely agree. I thought they were maybe going in the right direction with him. But then... Like at 45 minutes into the movie, he disappears. He is seemingly killed, and he just he's gone because now it's time to tell the Venom story. Well, no, not yet. Now it's time to tell. Oh, the hair. We got to get Harry involved yeah, too. The Hobgoblin story. The Hobgoblin story, and give Harry. But we don't. We don't want to cast the deck too strongly against Peter. But we don't want to make it too easy. So let's give Harry amnesia. Yeah, <laughs> and it's the most uh, hackneyed bullshit. Yeah, storyline. It is really irritating. Mary Jane feels slighted, so she runs back to Harry, and so it's it's really irritating. The everybody focused on the emo scene. That 
Hey, that is very small. I'm not saying that scene's good. No. But that scene is, is just not nearly as big of a problem as the everything else in the movie. The only thing about the emo scene that I think it deserves credit for is it's the only time where it is clear they knew what they were doing. They were, <clears throat> out of character, just having fun in the middle. Yeah. Like, writing an over-the-top scene for the purposes of it being over-the-top, mm-hmm. and... They executed on that. It's a bad choice, I think, but compared to the rest of the movie, where they falter at every other shot they take, you know, it's fine. Yeah. At least it made sense within the story they were trying to tell. It's just that... Yeah, they they didn't just do it on a whim. That would have been weirder, I guess. But, yeah, I was just very frustrated by how no character decisions seemed to make consistent sense. There was no development of characters. Again, abandoning Sandman 40 minutes into the movie. Who is a sympathetic villain who Peter Parker would have had, like, an emotional, like, who would have had emotional distress with dealing with. Like Doc Ock, which is what made Spider-Man 2 great. Like, like, Green Goblin. Yeah. That's, that's the thing about Spider-Man that is always, like, that's always rooted, is that the bad guys, well, not all of Spider-Man villains, but... Like, the villains are human. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I mean, the, even into the Amazing Spider-Man trilogy, the main two villains of both those films are the same way. Like, Electro, yeah. Jamie Foxx's character, Sh- is shocker, not a bad guy. Yeah. Um, and Gator. Yeah, Lizard Dude. Lizard Man, yeah. Yeah, is a doctor who, you know, was trying to help. Yeah, Homecoming, Vulture, is like... Trying to... Feed his family. Yeah. I mean, he's the most sympathetic, I think. But so then to make, to like jump full into like, oh, Venom's this like alien thing that just wants to kill Peter Parker because it is a suit. Like, what? <laughs> right. I never understood Venom in this movie, really, other than... Well, that's what it is. It is, is, it is, it is a parasite. Right. An alien parasite. Yeah. yeah. So it, it it's so discordant with Spider-Man being your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Like, that's the point of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, well, we'll bring the alien suit in, like, th- and this gets like super snotty. And I know we don't do this normally on the podcast, but in the comics, like, it's supposed to be a hard shift. Like, you know, it's like the Dark Knight kind of right. angle, where it's like, will Spider-Man have to betray his inner instinct and his moral compass? Mm. Like, that's the big question with the Venom saga in the comics. And with this, it's like, not just another bad guy, get Eddie Brock. It's like, why? And anytime you're putting Tobey Maguire and Topher Grace in the same movie, you fucked up. <laughs> it's like one of the first articles that got written for our website. <laughs> yeah. It was comparing the careers of Topher Grace and Tobey Maguire. It's also the third straight movie where Kirsten Dunst, Mary Jane, winds up suspended in the air, <laughs> needing to be saved by Spider-Man. On an unknown timer. Like... She's not good in that trilogy. I'll just throw that out there. She's fine in the first one. Because she plays she plays clueless, beautiful woman. I'm just not a huge fan of Kirsten Dunst. Maybe that. I love Kirsten Dunst. I think she's crazy and she's great. You haven't seen, you haven't, I think she's you haven't crazy beautiful. Season of Fargo, have you? No, I have not. Okay. And yeah. she's then she's great and weird and melancholia. <laughs> she is good in melancholia. Another another major failure of Spider-Man 3 is uh, the thing that the first two Spider-Mans get right, and that is... It's fun to be Spider-Man. And it's like, you know how Peter in the first two movies is like going, woohoo, as he's like flying through the city because he can't 
believe he gets to fly through the city all the time. And the third one, there's just no joy in being yeah. Spider-Man. There's then, no joy in being Spider-Man. There's no joy in watching it. Right. So, really bad movie. Um, also, if you have a trilogy, like, Spider-Man 3 does a strange thing where you either complete an arc <clears throat> or you continue growing the characters. Well, the intent was going to be the, the latter because there was a Spider-Man 4 right. that was in production and just Raimi dropped out and then it all fell apart. Yeah. But so, there's no growth. Right. Like, like there's there's no, like, at least, you know, Spider-Man, he's gaining his legs. Spider-Man 2 gets more powerful. You've got, like, the, the famous, like, train scene that he's, mm-hmm. you know, where he's, like, deified as the savior of New York. And then this, it's just like, oh, you're kind of a shitty superhero. You don't do anything exceptional. There's nothing at stake. And bad guys lose because you barely beat them. Like, there's zero progression. Right. By the way, I... That train scene in two had sort of gotten cliched in my head. Uh, man, that's still a really emotionally impactful scene when he is when they're like pulling his body back and yeah. like waking him up. Everybody saw his face; uh, his mask had gotten flown off or something. And all these people see his face, and all these people in this train car are just like, "Don't worry, man. Here's your mask." Yeah, <laughs> I didn't see nothing. None of us saw anything. There's so, it's just a great scene of just being so thankful to a superhero that you don't see in many you don't get that sort of interactions in most superhero movies you don't get the you get it in uh, Superman Returns I think <laughs> it's bad Superman Returns ugh. the uh, he's like standing over them and they're all like I forget what they do they do something stupid like they they might bow it's so dumb yeah this is better yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't take much yeah, Spider-Man 2 still really feels uh, even more so than a lot of MCU movies. And and I think MCU movies are, in many cases, better movies. But Spider-Man 2 does a better job of capturing what it feels like to read a comic book, I feel like. That that, that movie from beginning to end. Like, the, the dialogue isn't amazing, but comic book dialogue isn't amazing. There's a argument to be made that that trilogy did launch the comic book movie craze. Yeah, sure. kind of, kind of in stride with X Men. X Men came out yeah, first. Right. X Men's two thousand. I just I remember the X Men movies being a thing. Spider Man was like they were making Spider Man movie jokes in other movies. Yeah, like it was huge. Plus, pe- people who, who were big fans of X Men were nerds. People who liked Spider Man was everybody. Right. right. Yeah. I want to see Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moving on, so another movie based on a comic book, uh, V for Vendetta. Oh, cool. Uh, it's a rewatch. I've seen it a couple times before. Um, I didn't like it as much this time. It gets, it gets worse than a rewatch, I was about to say. Yeah. It's, it's a little cheesy up. when you rewatch it. Yeah, it's very stylistic, more than it is substantive. And uh, Great great work by Hugo Weaving, though. He is very good in the movie, and it's a very entertaining movie. It does, it nails the one thing it should, like, the uh, an important thing, which is being entertaining. Keeping mm-hmm. you engaged. Keep you watching. Yeah, I mean, it was it was big enough, too, that it made the gunpowder treason and plot something that now everybody kind of knows about. Right. And it wasn't really something that anybody knew or cared about. Nobody knew who Guy Fawkes was before that movie came out. I feel like, I mean, maybe not us, but the masses. And then the internet happened to it. Yeah, which... Oddly enough, it's I've always been ironic to me that like Anonymous is uh, 
taking on the Guy Fox mask when, um, if you really read about Guy Fox, he was not just some like freedom Rogue fighter, chaotician. Yeah. yeah, he wanted to replace one regime with his regime, right? Basically, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's also it's a kind of movie where it just sort of spells everything out for you, like what its stances are and whatnot, and it doesn't really give you much to think about, like. It's funny you said that because I remember when it came out. I was at a party with a friend of mine, and uh, with like a like a family party, and some parents were like, "We went and saw V for Vendetta," and some other parents were like, "Was it good?" And he goes, "It's a real thinker," and I, I remember seeing it last the weekend before that, and I was just like, Ugh. "It's really not. It's not a thinker. Yeah, it does. It does the thinking. It's one of those movies where it has a lot to think about, and it does the thinking for you, and it just tells you what it thought. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's a, a kind of a fun turn." When you realize she's not kidnapped. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a... But that's not a thinker. That's just a... Gotcha. (laughs) It's also... I realize that uh, the more movies you watch and the more you know who Hugo Weaving is, uh, the less surprises there are in that movie because Hugo Weaving... It's like, oh, that guy interrogating her sounds like Hugo Weaving. (laughs) And this guy, these guys, the cops met in the aquarium, this uh, mysterious witness or whatever, he sounds a lot like Hugo Weaving and looks like Hugo Weaving, too. So... Maybe they were banking on, at the time, it was really just like, hey, what was he in before this? The Matrix yeah. trilogy? Lord of the Rings. And, oh, yeah, like a Lord of the Rings. But, yeah, it was just funny. I was like, well, yeah, that, don't know how I didn't catch this the first time. Cause <laughs> is that a, pretty not, obviously him. Not picking on what you said, but is that a comic book or a graphic novel? It's a graphic novel. Okay. No, sorry. No, I mean, I don't care for... Our sakes. I'm always same, upset. Same section of the story. Yeah, I'm no. just always curious. Yeah. Because I've read like two graphic novels. One of them was just a big comic book and the other one was The Watchmen. Yeah. So. I do recommend V for Vendetta. It's just, I don't think I would recommend it as like strongly as I would have ten years ago. I would recommend it as someone's first watch. Maybe not to rewatch. Yeah. I think it is It is as, as memorable as... Uh, it's as effective as a memory as it is watching again. It's one of those movies that I feel like was probably a four and a half star movie when I was 20. Yeah. And now watch it now and I'll probably give it three and a half. I gave it three and a half on Letterboxd, yeah. Uh, watched a movie from 2007 that I'd never seen before. It was an Oscar winning film from 2007, which there could only be like four, I guess, because there's the year of no country and there will be blood. <laughs> right. But uh, this won the Oscar for best original song. And uh, it's a musical called... Well, uh, and maybe not a musical. Kind of like a Star is Born is a musical. Maybe. Yeah, it's called Once, yeah. dr- directed by John Carney, who uh, I believe you guys have liked some of his more recent work, right? John Carney? Yeah. He... Sing Street. Oh, uh, yeah. And also, did he also do that one with Mark Ruffalo? And Begin Again? Do it Begin Again? I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, look that up while I'm talking about it. Um, <coughs> Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> he did do Begin Again. Begin again once and Sing Street. Nice. So in a movie called Zonad. <laughs> That's <was> weird. <laughs> Not making that up. <laughs> an odd little. Anyway, uh, uh, once is a story of an Irish. What? Sorry, <laughs> the plot for Zonad uh, makes you want to watch it. A story about an escaped convict who fools a whole Irish village into thinking he's a visitor from outer space. <laughs> Okay. Is Zonad his name or the place he's from? Zonad, a strange visitor, comes to the town of Ballymoran, taken in by the Cassidy family, accepted by the locals as an extraterrestrial, 
His comfortable existence is spoiled when Bonad arrives to replace him. Oh. Alright. Check that out. <laughs> um, well, you could you could round out the, the, the trilogy, right? I saw the scene, Sing his, Street. You never oh. saw Sing Street. Al was on that podcast. <laughs> I know, I know. I was out then. Um, so, uh... Oh, no, Al was on We Are the Best. Oh, yeah. Once, uh... What's well, the story of an Irish, like, he's like a street busker? Yeah. Um, he's a struggling musician um, who meets this girl. She comes up to him one day, uh, talking to him about his music. Uh, she is a Czech immigrant in, in Ireland. And uh, uh, the two of them just, through chit-chat, she reveals that she's, like, uh, she grew up playing piano. And so they go to a little uh music store on their break and they just sit down and play some music together and they just realize they are really enjoying kindred kindred yeah and it is instantaneous and it is magical to watch and it is the most powerful scene in the movie and it's like 15 minutes in and it's it's really charming story about how they are sort of falling in love but not in a but not you don't really see the love manifest any time it's just uh Sort of like a Lost in Translation. Sort of like a... Just... An encounter with one another. Over a few weeks. Huh. She reveals that she's married. Um, but her husband's back home in the Czech Republic. And she's uh, not sure if he'll be able to come over. Or make... You know, if their marriage will last or anything. And... Um, the Irish musician is having feelings for her too. And it's just sort of about him. It's sort of about her kind of figuring out what her path's going to be and him trying to get a demo recorded of some of his songs. So I would call Sing Street a romantic comedy. Yeah. I would call Begin Again maybe like a, not really, I wouldn't call it a romantic comedy. Maybe a dramedy at best. But where would this fall? Uh, I would say a romantic drama, but on the lighter side. A Begin Again, kind of. Yeah, it's not a very heavy movie, but it's uh, it's also not full of jokes. Full of jokes, right? right. Um, not a lot of chuckling. Very charming movie. Um, very su- sweet movie. To the, the chemistry between the two of them is instantaneous. They had worked together a little previously. The 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 leads the leads as a performing duo. Yeah, because I, when I was reading that, it's a uh, Gunner, not Gunner. I forget his name. Cassandra knew the name as a. Musician, yeah, like he's he does stuff. Yeah, John John Carney was from the Pretenders, right? No, no, John the Commitments. J- John Carney is a oh wait, is a the you know, the guy who wrote and directed right is a an, from a band in the eighties is one that you would know the name of Mo- the Frames the Frames from from the from his from hearing this movie. It sounds like he keeps writing himself into the movies. Irish singer songwriter, right? Kind of falls in love with Glenn Hansard, the leads, uh, the lead guy, and they're just known as guy and girl in this movie. Yeah, um, he. Um, I recognize that name. He had been in another musical movie back in the early nineties. Uh, he had been in The Commitments, mm. which had a bit of a cult following, but I don't know much about that movie. Yeah, Gunnar Hansen is the guy who played Leatherface. <laughs> Different guy. Different guy. Uh, I do recommend once if you've never seen it. The uh, the music's good. 
It's a uh, like I said, it's a char- it's a short movie. It's like ninety minutes long. It's a charming little romance. Cool. That it's not streaming on anything. Did you just say that? I don't think it's streaming. I watched. Uh, it. I looked last night because you said you watched it. I was going to watch it too, but yeah. Uh, that song is great. The song that won the Oscar is called uh, "Falling Slowly," and it's a uh, good stuff. Beautiful song. <laughs> nice. And like I said, the this is the first time the two of them perform together in the movie, and it's just well, not perform. They're just it's just the two of them in a empty room, right? But it's really it's really cool seeing like the magic of like two musicians instantly clicking with one another, like completely. And then both, you can see it on both their faces, which is like, this is awesome. Like she's playing the piano and him, him singing and playing guitar. Marketa Irglova. It's the name of the the actress, actress and also the person who co-wrote the song with Glenn Hansard. Yes. Uh, Couple more movies I'll just hit briefly. They, they're rewatches for me. One was a movie I'd seen as a kid, Backdraft. Remember Whoa. Backdraft? <laughs> oh, is it the firefighter movie? Yeah. Right? Okay. No, not what I was thinking of. With uh, Kurt Russell, one of the lesser Baldwins. Uh, forget which one. Maybe William Baldwin. Oh, he's the lessest. Yeah, it's not Stephen Baldwin. Yeah, he's second place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he has usual suspects. They get some second place. Jennifer Jason Lee, Robert De Niro. J.T. Walsh. Um, who else is... Uh, the guy... Oh, the dad from Leftovers. What's his name? Scott Glenn. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, it's a Ron Howard movie. <laughs> the, uh, the fire stuff? Really cool. Everything regard- revolving around the plot is pretty much garbage. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but the, the fire stuff's pretty cool. So, it's an entertaining watch. I only gave it like two, two and a half stars. It's not... No, nothing I would recommend strongly to anyone, but it's got a good cast and the like. I said it's, it's decent moments of fire action. Although there's something missing from a movie with all this fire, and that is smoke. There's no smoke in this movie. <laughs> oh, weird! Because that would be hard to film and show anything. <laughs> True. So it's just like firefighters running around in very visible spaces with fire everywhere. No smoke. Also, the thing is, is, is it where there's fire, there's smoke. It's where there's smoke, there's fire. There's where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's fire, there may not be smoke if Ron Howard's in charge. Or how he did that. I don't know, but it was, uh, it was too early for like CGI fire. No, but I mean, yeah. And if you like tried like a some kind of vacuum system, it would have fucked the fire up. Would have sucked the flames that way. Yeah. I don't know. Also, all these firemen really should wear their masks, too. Yeah, they generally do in real life. Yeah. <laughs> it really bothered me in the movie. Well, with all these smokeless fires... That's true. <laughs> in a world where there's smoke, where there's no smoke. Yeah, so, anyway. Uh, it was, was alright. It was alright. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, the last was a rewatch, and I'm really glad I rewatched this movie, because I know it's a well-loved movie by a lot of people. I did not remember liking it a whole lot when I first saw it. But I rewatched 500 Days of Summer. I actually really liked it a lot more this time. It's fun. It's yeah. eye rolly at times, but it's real fun. I like the comedy, and, and I thought it was there were it was a funny movie. Jogo Love is really really good in it. Yes, Jogo Love. I've, that's Jogo uh, Love. All right, I will try to. Yeah. I've always Joseph with, Gordon Levitt. <laughs> so J J L. Jogo Love. I like that. 
Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good movie. Brick just walks out. Taking notes. Joke of love. Joke of love. That was great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I think it's still overrated by some people, but uh, I really liked it. It's kind of great. The, the cut dance scene is very memorable. The, uh, yeah, his waking up after having sex. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if I've, I don't know if I could roll my eyes harder than I probably did at the end. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yes. God. What, what's her name? Autumn. Take Autumn. a guess. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. He just does this look at the camera. Yeah. She says her name is Autumn. <laughs> like, Get out of here, man. What are you doing? Get out of here, Joker. You're done. <laughs> Do you remember who plays her? Autumn? Yeah. No. Roseburn. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, Lila Garrity. Make oh, play. nice. Yeah. I saw her stand up. I was like, oh, she's going to be really boring, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen her in, in uh, you also got this thing Dylan. with the guy in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never know how that's going to go. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah. Well, <clears throat> reality roundup. Yeah, we need to talk about what. We've run a little what, long, but yeah. we've got time. That's Most fun. exciting episode of the season so far. It's the best episode of Survivor I've ever watched. Nice. That was reality roundup. (laughs) Yeah, no, Survivor's great. Uh, I love that, I really have no idea how the season's going to play out. There's no, like, there's no favorite in my mind. There are players, I think, playing better than others. Yeah. But they're all kind of on shaky ground in in terms of their, of how much control they have. So not, not predicting a final three, but you get to pick three now, and you win if you pick the winner. Who would you pick? If I have the winner somewhere in my top three. All you're doing is, I gave you three chances to pick the winner. Oh, okay. So while I was like, Abby might be a favorite to get to the final three, you might not pick her to win. Right. Who? I was just saying Abby, but anybody. Gabby. Gabby. Oh, I thought you meant Allison, because I keep calling her Abby and Amanda and oh, everything nice. else besides Allison. Right now, mine would be, well, y'all are thinking, because I asked the question, so I've thought about it some, <laughs> would be Nick, Christian, and Davey right now. I think Davey's got the power move. Um, if he can ride that a few episodes, I think he becomes uh, a little bit of a favorite. And honestly, I just don't know who the fuck else to pick because nobody else, it's hard to differentiate them in my mind. I think Nick's a good shot. I think that Kara might be an outside shot just because she's not threatening, but she's physical. And I think that she's willing to do the work to build alliances once once and once she cuts ties with Dan it'll be so helpful for her game because uh, Dan's just a he's not a moron obviously um, if he made it this far in the game he knows a little bit of what he's doing um, but I think he's just he's just a little bit too much of a loose cannon so I think Kara's fine and I think Christian's just too much threat I still like Gabby I think I like Gabby to to ride to the end I don't understand how how people look at Gabby and go she needs to be gone because she hasn't presented herself as a threat in any way. Right. Except yeah. she's good at managing people. Which is someone who you don't want in a final three. The only reason I would take Christian is because I think if Christian makes the final three, he wins. I don't know. I don't think his odds are good to get there. Yeah. But if he gets there and people are like, we've been calling this since the day of the merge. And we didn't do it for some reason. Right. Like, he might. they might just be like, he deserves it. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah the, the, the Goliath stepped out and called him the weakest perceived member of the Davids, and here he is sitting at the final three. And, yeah. Having made a bunch of moves right. and played the game well. Yeah. And convinced somebody to play an idol for him. Yeah. That's maybe not convinced, but convinced in a kind of indirect way. You forgetting somebody, Brent? 
No, I thought I was, but I, I wasn't. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna pick uh, Nick because Nick seems to have a pulse on everything really well, and that's one good thing to have at this point. I'm gonna pick Davy just because I feel like we're we're seeing Davy come on strong here mid game. Um, I don't know who my third pick is. There's Christian's gotten a. He's had a strong edit this year. It's been it's been a Christian yeah. heavy season for sure. I think my third pick is going to be Mike Mike White. Whew. Interesting. He is playing alliances really well, and it is clear that he's well liked. So I mean, I think Brent just answered this question. Do we think it's possible now with having so many super fans in Survivor that love the game for a celebrity to win? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They will. What do you think on that? Yeah. I also don't think that, that Mike White's star shines as bright as other people think. Oh, not it's, it's not about that. It's just about <coughs> the money. Yeah, no, that, money. that's that's what I mean. Right. Is I don't want to take the luster off a guy who's obviously had some success in his career, but success in your career can only take you so far if you have, like, one hit movie. I don't know. I think two seasons ago we had... I think it showed that it it's a tiebreaker. You know what I mean? With the Ben and yeah. Chrissy, yeah. Oh, I think that I think Ben won on tribal performances, tribal council performances. All his big moments were in front of the jury. I would say that is utter bullshit. I think he won because he was a veteran. I'm not saying that's bad. He played it up well, but I, I that is like ninety percent of why he won after getting there. But you don't think you don't think if he were a uh, construction worker that he would have won that game? Uh, I think it makes it a lot closer. I, let's. Let's take a structure worker out of it, or cop, or whatever, and let's say if he was a accountant, then I don't know if he wins. I, mean, I still think Chrissy outplayed him and deserved to win that season, but I'm not. And that's not like a super crazy opinion. That's fairly common, I know, for fans of Survivor. You know, not like over fifty percent, but yeah. I mean, obviously, the contestants are obviously a lot of them are concerned with like people's stories right. at the end and whatnot. It was a big moment in Millennials versus Gen X, too. Like, uh, Adam Klein yeah, right. had a big story at the end. He got a vote from somebody who literally said they were never going to vote for him. Like, that would never happen. Right. Um, but, I don't know. You know, it, it always depends on the cast. You just never know, really, how they're going to play things. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's impossible. I just think it's a mark against Mike White, I guess. Yeah. I'm trying to play the odds of getting people there. More than trying to pick a winner once they're there, which maybe there's a balance there, right? Like you don't want to pick Joe, who will has a good shot of getting there. There's nobody really like that in the season, so there's no opportunity for yeah, that. No Joe, but yeah, even like uh, Angelina, yeah, okay, even her. Like I feel like if she navigates her way to the final three, she might have a shot just because she's so conniving. Yeah, um, but she might be the closest one right now. Carl, maybe. I could see, I could see Allison getting to the final three because yeah, I think that no one perceives her as a big threat. She says some smart shit in these like I almost picked her. Yeah, in my three, she does these things in like group talks where she'll be like blah blah blah, and it's like some throwaway line, and I'll be like, wait, that was like spot on. Yeah, yeah, her calling out Angelina like, oh, it's Jerry management, just like whoa, that lit the fucking fire. Yeah. And now it's now it's the whole story if if Angelina can escape that. Yeah. So I don't that's why it's like 
The only reason I didn't pick Allison is just because there's been very little screen screen time for Allison this year. She's That's why I would be nervous about Kara, too. Yeah. She just had a bad edit yeah. since the merge. And it sucks using that, but I mean, it's yeah. also hard not to because you can't not watch that. Right. Well, also, the, the other downside for Kara is that she has, not by her own choice, unfortunately gotten sort of tied to Dan. Right. Because Dan tied himself to her. And Dan is the weakest player. Dan is a not, you know, he's not a very good survivor player. And Uh, apparently, not a super fan, right? That's what I've read. He's like the one cast that was kind of out of the. Yeah, well, that's it's. There's probably several every season. Typically, when people get cast, if they were recruited, they have enough time. A lot of them will go back and watch like the last five or ten seasons or something. So it's just that other people, like, just. Have watched it for fifteen years, and like read about and, it and, and re- watch podcast. And, yeah. yeah, I don't think Dan's one of those, but it's a great episode. It's yeah. shaping up to be the best season I've seen. I think it might already be there. Millennials vs Gen X is really good. This is a this is a great episode because you can easily come up with like a five favorite moments from this episode. Number yeah. one for me is Alec mouthing Jeff's words as he's saying them before the immunity challenge. Did you catch that? Did you yeah. notice that? Yeah, when he. Uh, because Jeff does say the same thing before every immunity challenge, and Alec just showing off how much he watched the Survivor by <laughs> literally mouthing the words along with him as he's staring at him, which is... Did y'all get some joy out of Dan fucking up the reward challenge? Of course, that's in my top five. The, oh, yeah. why aren't you guys three-bagging it? Come on, bro! And Kara, Kara looking at him, literally saying, you're gonna drop that bag, and he like gives her this shut-up woman look. And, and Gabby goes, said, we're playing smart! <laughs> yeah. On the ground. <laughs> this is adorable. Then he drops the bag. It was great. John's face when he realizes it's him, and and he's the victim of this like amazing move. To yeah, John's like, I love this game. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that it's me, but I love this game. That's the that's, you can Christian tell. calling after him like, you still looking for a controller of Slamtown? He's like, <laughs> still accepting resumes. <laughs> well, cool. I got some notes on breezy. Breezy. What you got? Uh, we can't uh, record a podcast without talking about uh, the passing of Stanley. Huge, yeah, really influential figure in uh, movies and television and comic books and books and just popular culture. I should have pointed out that was part of the impetus behind me watching uh, Spider-Man okay. movies. But yeah, God, I mean, literally billions of dollars into the movie industry, yeah, directly from him, yeah, yeah, billions and billions of dollars, yeah. So it's, it's it's super sad. He had a he had a good run. He had a very strong impact on a lot of people, and will uh, you know movies based on his works and his people's works is going to continue to like make billions of dollars for many many years to come. Yeah. Um, certainly an influence in the twenty first century. Anybody guess what nineties movie not based on a comic book Stanley had a cameo in? You told me it, but I already forgot. Well, and it, it's not based... The one that I think of... Well, it's sort of an extended cameo in Mallrats, but that's not really based on a... Yeah. Oh, is that what you're thinking of? Yeah. 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 It's not based on a comic. Yeah, it's... Uh, he's uh, he's really good in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, rest in peace, Stanley. Yeah, it sucks. Um, it, it, we could do a theme episode about comic books, but it would be a four-hour episode. Good God. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing, it's on our Facebook group, uh, but the director's rallying cry to save the Criterion Collection uh, on a streaming service has been answered. Yep. By, by Criterion. By Criterion. Criterion was like, what? 
people people want this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so yeah, in twenty nineteen they'll be launching a service, a pay service. Uh, a few months. It sounds like they're yeah. gonna get it together quick. They're already selling uh, early access at a lower, at like a discount. What's the? Sorry, not really for the listeners, but what's the rate? Because we need to get on that. It's like <laughs> well, uh, I got a refund from Filmstruck. So oh, nice. nice. Yeah. So um, like fifty fifty five bucks left. Sweet. So uh, I think it's nice. I didn't have to request it. They just sent it to me. That's awesome. Pretty sweet. I think once it's full rate, it'll be nine ninety nine a month or ninety nine for the whole year. So film that's the same thing. The film truck, but early access, it's eighty nine ninety nine for the year. I'll go ahead and just set it up then. And nice. you get little, you get like extra stuff. You get like a all the interviews and shit. Well, I don't know about uh, that, but you get like a, if you have any issues, you can you have you can like like a more access directly to the help help okay. yeah whatnot that's I, what i read i did see a fun wrinkle uh apparently warner media is going to make available some features from filmstruck to this new criterion collection streaming service it's essentially just like a just shift. shift they just played swaps yeah yeah but so that's fun um a couple of trailers came out i know the toy story 4 is a big one uh the nightmare that is pokemon detective pikachu uh, watch that trailer if you don't want to sleep for 24 hours. <laughs> uh, and then the big one that if Dave were here, we would have spent a lot more time on is Independent Spirit Awards nominations came out. Um, and your 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 big winners for nominations are We the Animals, which got five. And then Eighth Grade, First Reformed, and You Were Never Really Here, all got four. And then lastly, a small movie, Private Life, which is available on Netflix now if you want to watch it, huh. uh, with two. There's some big snubs in there. That Black Klansman. Black Klansman. Um, only got Adam Driver as a nominee. Sorry to bother you, I think, just for writing, right? Yep. Um, and then lots of stuff that were... Like, Old Man and the Gun got nothing. Um, there fell off. Yeah. Uh, they thought that Willem Dafoe was going to get a nomination. Uh, Nicole Kidman from Destroyer. Nothing for uh, Boy Erased. Um, and the only black fans went on was Adam Driver, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, there was an expected lead actress nom for Charlize Theron from Tully, but no dice. Hmm. Um, They're weird. Do they nominate shit to, like, they might not nominate Blank Klansman, Black Klansman, even though it is technically eligible. They might not see it as indie enough. They do weird stuff in yeah. the uh, essays. Yeah. Like, if, if a major studio got behind promoting it, even if. And they got like a production credit late. Right. They may not nominate it. Right. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I've got for Breezy. If you guys have anything else, we got some movies that are coming out this weekend. Yeah. Um, we got Thanksgiving weekend, so there's uh there's four big films that are coming out. Creed two is coming out. Nice. Thanksgiving. Look exciting. Really like the first one. Yeah. The Green Book is expanding this weekend on Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, Ralph breaks the internet is coming out on Thanksgiving and the dumpster fire that appears to be the new Robin Hood movie is coming out this weekend. <laughs> what, what new Robin Hood movie? With Taron uh, Egerton. Taron oh, Egerton and Jamie Foxx. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's set in the future past present. I don't know what it's set. <laughs> they have robots and shit but he still uses a bow and arrow. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't get it. Um, okay, well, I know what I'm not picking and it's that. <laughs> yeah. Don't go see that. Um... For me, it comes down to two movies. Sorry, I'm looking at the cast for Robin Hood. The, for me, it, it's either Creed 2 or Ralph Breaks the Internet. Um, 
I will say too, last weekend, real quick, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is on Netflix. Yeah. Um, it's also been released on theaters, but we left it off that watch list. Yeah. But check it out on Netflix. Yeah. And also, if you're in a market that has Roma, it's limited <clears throat> release over the Thanksgiving weekend. Right. Go see Roma. You're going to hear about it a lot in January and February and March. Yeah. So, sorry, Brett. Down to what? Two films? I've heard Creed 2. I've heard Dolph Lundgren's really good in it. Nice. Uh, and I've also heard Ralph Breaks the Internet is apparently has a, uh, a great movie about toxic internet culture. Yeah. Which... It's a message people need to hear these days. Yeah. So I'm uh, very interested in both. I think I would rather see Creed 2. And I'm only leaving Green Book off because I've seen a few trailers for the Green Book. And for me, I feel like it could be the dud of the Oscar season for me personally. <laughs> like the, the movie that's going to get award love that I just hate, possibly. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to hate the performances in it. Uh, I'm going to take Ralph Breaks the Internet. It's a. Uh, I love that first movie. Um, John C. Riley, great. Sarah Silverman's great. You know the the voice cast is obviously fantastic. Jack McBrayer as Fix It Felix is is just so funny. perfect casting. Yeah. Um, Jane Lynch as like the army commander, but it's it's a video game adjacent animated movie. Like, why am I not going to pick it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna take Green Book. Nice. I'm really excited about that movie, and uh, I love Mahershala Ali. I think he's phenomenal, and uh, I've heard some bad reviews on Vigos, but he's also, uh, you know, got a really good shot to get nominated for Best Actor. So we'll see what happens. So you really can't go wrong as long as you don't see Robin Hood in our predictions. Anyway, watch Robin Hood like ninety-eight percent. Sounds like it's a good weekend to go to the movie theater. There's uh, good options. Here's, yeah. a, here's a prediction: every all three of those movies are going to get nominated for something. At the Oscars? Yep. Creed 2? It's a, an original soundtrack written uh, by any anyone in hip-hop who you have heard of who is, hey, that guy is apparently popular and critics love him. Yes. Nice. They've written music for Who Creed directed too. Creed 2? Because it's not... It's not Sly? It. Huh? It's not Sly? He was attached no. originally, but... It's somebody whose name I don't really know, but it's I think Ryan Coogler produced it, but not directed Stephen Capel Jr. Huh. Written by Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. But not directed. Yeah. We didn't mention our homework the last time on the last podcast, but uh, now would be a good time. Oh, yeah. You should watch uh, Love, Simon. Yes. <laughs> it's on HBO. So, uh, forgot to get that out on the last podcast. Hopefully, you've already seen it on the Facebook page, but uh, if you haven't, Love, Simon before the next podcast, which uh, will be coming out next week. Yep. Uh, alright. So, also go see those, all three of those movies. Just go see all three. Yeah. Yeah, they're all going to be good. Yeah, yeah, what else are you doing on Thanksgiving? Hopefully you don't have to work Wednesday through Sunday. You know, our hearts go out to those people in service or who work (coughs) in retail and Mm -hmm. have to do the Black Friday hustle. Um, take, take some time, go see a movie. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, this has been Talkie Talk, podcast from MediaBias.com. That is the website where you can see all of our stuff. Uh, you can uh, check us out on Facebook with our uh, Facebook groups, Movies By Us, TV By Us, and Games By Us. You can tweet at us at the Media By Us. You can uh, email us at TheMediaBiasGmail.com. Best thing you can do is subscribe and or leave a review. Rate, 
rate our shit, rate us. Preferably, you know, give us a nice rating, but, you know, a rating nonetheless will help. And last but not least, thank you to the Willow Walkers. Willow Walkers. Thank you to Burifa. Burifa. They provide the intro and outro music, respectively. And that's it. Thank Kicking you. Kicking rocks. Goodbye. Down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes. Long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know.